It is great to be back with you this morning. I didn't know the last time we were here at Fellowship, and I remember last time I was here, a van actually gave me his Bible. He saw me squinting to try to read the small print on my Bible, and he walked up after the service and gave me his Bible. I'm still walking around with the Bible and using it to preach from. And that was 2007, so four years since we were here. And a lot has happened. For those of you who are prayer partners, you know what God has been doing across Southeast Asia. And I wish I could take you on a fast trip over to where we've been in the last two months. I've been over in India in the streets of Delhi with uh, homeless people on the streets. Over to the Philippines where God is raising up a base to send out Filipinos. We're seeing Muslims come to faith in Southeast Asia like never before. There's one team that are seeing a Muslim come to faith every week right now. Isn't that incredible? There's a Hindu church being a Hindu background church being planted in Bali this year in the mountains. I mean, God, there's exciting things going on. There's a team in the Buddhist slum communities of Bangkok that are having so much fruit they need people to come out and join their team because they can't keep up with it. Isn't that exciting? I tell you what, Steve, what you're going to be doing, I'm so excited because this guy, I'm on the phone all all the time with a guy called Doug Hill, who you're going to be working with, I know. And we're saying, hey, you know what? You get these guys into Pioneers, and that's exciting. We've got all these people in Pioneers sitting here in America that want to go overseas, but you've got to get them from here to there. And that guy's got an incredible role, okay? A really important job. He's got to get them from here to there. That's his job, and we need him so much. So I'm excited. Your church is saying we're behind this family. It's Stephen and Kirsten, right? Well, that's the first time I got to meet you. That's great. We will be working together. My job has changed. I used to be area leader in Indonesia, working out of Bali, Indonesia. We saw God give us growth that was incredible. And some of you who are prayer partners have prayed for us. We grew from three teams to over a dozen teams with almost 80 personnel across the islands of East Indonesia. And we grew so fast that we realized, man, we can't hold on to this thing. And then the Lord said, okay, it's time to take another step. So he moved us from Bali, Indonesia just a few months ago to Chiang Mai, Thailand. And now I'm in a regional role, which is why I'm in India and the Philippines and different parts of Southeast Asia, as we're trusting God to raise up hundreds of teams. Folks, man, I'm walking on streets across Southeast Asia where there is absolutely no witness at all. Nothing. Just, just recently, I was walking through a Sikh community, and I turned to the area leader and said, do we have any people working with the Sikh people in this city. He said, not one person. There's community after community after community across Southeast Asia. Yeah, praise God for what God is doing. But folks, there are places all across Southeast Asia where there is nobody working. We could place 100 teams out there today and just be scratching the surface. So my role on a regional level now is to work from India to Fiji to see new teams launched to mentor teams, and we pray and hope that we'll see a great movement for his kingdom across those islands and across the mainland Southeast Asia. So it's great to be with you all this morning. That's a quick update on what we're doing. We're headed back in just two weeks, two and a half weeks, is it, dear? Yeah, we leave for Southeast Asia here in just two weeks. We're back just really fast, seeing several churches and, and hopping around. It's been a very quick trip. This morning, I want to turn your attention to one verse. It's interesting. We're on the July 4th weekend. Freedom. Freedom. We talk about freedom. Well, I want to look at freedom this morning in the spiritual sense. There's a verse that 
God began to work in my life as I began to study the life of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, when you think of Jeremiah, you think of who? The weeping prophet. Well, surely there's not a message of freedom when you look at a weeping prophet, is there? Whoa, was I surprised. So I began to study the life of this prophet Jeremiah. I didn't know Jeremiah was the longest book in our Bible. Did you know that? I didn't know that. As I began to dig into this man's life, I also found out that there's more written on the personal life of the prophet Jeremiah than any other prophet in our Bible. And you get to step into the life of this prophet and understand who this guy is. What makes him tick? What upsets him? It's all written there in the book of Jeremiah. And then I came across one little verse. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah 6, 16. Jeremiah 6, 16. Let me just read it to you. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Which you were just singing about ancient words. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. What in the world is Jeremiah talking about? Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. What are those ancient paths? You know, I look at this verse and I try to, how is freedom found in this verse? And, you know, the opposite of freedom is bondage. So, you know, what are we talking about bondage and freedom? It's so hard to sometimes understand and see the, the bondage and freedom and exactly what we're dealing with. Well, pictures of bondage in the Islamic world are easy to see. For years, we lived in the Islamic world. We lived on the island of Lombok, where it was 2.9 million Muslims. I remember one day, I was driving into our front driveway, and standing at the front gate was this guy from another island with an ID card. And it said, Evangelist. And listen, when you live we, we, where, where we work, we work in places where you don't have religious visas. You're kind of undercover. And so when you drive into your driveway, and there's a stranger standing there with an ID card that says, Evangelist, you kind of put your antennas up and think, Whoa, I've never met this guy before. I don't know what he's here for. I better be careful. So we go over and sit down in a little gazebo-like thing in the front of our house, and this guy starts asking me those questions. You know, Alvin, you know, why are you here? You seeing much fruit? Like, what's he asking me that for? Then he tells me a story how he led these Muslims to Jesus on this other island, hoping I would start talking about what we're doing, hoping to see Muslims coming to faith. And he says, now what about all those kids playing in your backyard? We used to have up to 50 Sasak Muslim kids run into our backyard and play with our kids. The moms would come and sit with Kristen. He said, hey, what's happening with those kids? You seeing fruit with those kids? Man, I was guarded by then. I thought, this guy knows too much. and He's asking a lot of questions. I've never met him before. Well, I didn't give him much information. But overnight, after years and years of building relationships, overnight... All 50 kids stopped coming. Overnight, all those ladies used to come and sit with Kristen stopped coming. So I went back to my buddies. said, hey, who was that guy and what happened? Oh, that guy, he's a Muslim. He was once one of you. He's turned to our faith, our religion. 
He came into the mosque and told us how you're buying converts. He said, he, he told us how that, how that you're using your computer to work with the brainwaves of the kids. How Christians hypnotizing the kids to follow Jesus. Overnight, years of work, gone. A spy, a spy. We had teenage girls who would call us up at night Say, look, there's people watching. Just unlock your front gate. Let us run through your gate and get into the backyard. We want to hear what really happened. And they'd come in and sit with Kristen. and She'd start talking to them. And then the teenage girls would look at you and say, I can't believe our leaders thought we'd even consider your faith. We have Islam. We know the truth. Guys, that's bondage. That's bondage. You see it. It's right in your face all the time. But what about the bondage in our lives? What about the bondage in our lives? God has set us free. But are we living in that freedom? And this verse talks about that. Even though you don't see it yet, this verse talks about it. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Now I'm thinking, what in the world is going on in Jeremiah chapter 6 and what in the world is Jeremiah talking about? All right, let me paint a picture for you. Hang with me here. I want you, you've got to understand the context here or you'll totally miss it. So hang, you're, you're hanging in good. Hang with me. What's going on in Jeremiah chapter 6? Who was king before all this happened? Let's back up a little bit. Who was the worst king in the land of Judah? Manasseh. We know that. Manasseh reigned for 57 years. Now, do you know how bad Manasseh was? Let's put it in modern terms. How would you feel if you walked into this, these doors next Sunday morning and Pastor Van and the elders decided to take down your cross and put up an idol in the temple of God? All right, that's what Manasseh did. He put, ten, he put up idols in the holy temple of God in Judah. So when you walk through those doors, that's what you saw, the idols but that's, that's, not, that's not enough yet. You're going to also start a building program. You know what you're going to build next? You're going to put quarters on the side of this church for the prostitutes. That's what Manasseh did. He took the holy temple and did a building project and put places for the prostitutes to live. He took his sons and sacrificed them in the cultic fires. He met with spiritists. For 57 years, that was the land of Judah. Now that's depravity going wild. That's what the people of Judah knew for 57 years. And then who marches onto the scene? We won't talk about Manasseh's son. He only lived a couple years and was assassinated. Right after that comes who? And man, if you've been to Sunday school, you love the stories of King Josiah. King Josiah. Now, who was King Josiah? He was how old when he became king? Eight years old. All right, now, can you imagine? I, I, I love trying to picture this. We've just had 57 years of total depravity. All right, we're talking about bondage to the very core. And then here comes little Josiah. Eight, maybe eight-year-olds here. Little eight years. How, how old are you? 10, 11, 
Nine, okay, good job, nine. Well, my daughter just turned ten last week. Nine-year-old. If my daughter was here, okay, and she was ruling Judah, let's say she's ruling your church this morning, eight years old, guys, she'd say, okay, when you walk in the doors there, put your pink on right now. You've got to all wear pink, all right? That's how, they, that's how, my, that's how my eight-year-old daughter thinks, nine-year-old daughter thinks. Wear pink. That's how you rule the world. You know, she loves pink. They're not thinking about other things. King Josiah, eight years old, becomes king of the land of Judah, who, and they've been totally in depravity for 57 years. Can you imagine? It says at age 16, eight years later, he begins to seek after the God of his fathers. At age 16. That puts us up to 65 years with the people of Judah living in bondage. But don't stop there yet. It says he didn't start purging the land of Judah until he was 20. So we're up to 69 years. And all you would know if you're 69 and younger in this auditorium this morning is depravity and bondage. How many people do we have here that are 69 and older? I'd like to see the hands. How many do we have? 69 and older. Just a couple, well, not that many. You're the only ones. You're the only ones. If you were living back in the land of Judah, you'd be the only ones who had a taste of freedom. All the rest of us would be a people of bondage. And King Judah, a King Josiah at age 20, begins to purge the land. At age 26, he takes on the big one. He decides to take care of the temple now. Remember, the idols are up in the front. Remember, he got, he got prostitutes living in the quarters. What's, what's Josiah do? He rips down that stuff, closes, gets rid of the prostitutes. He starts cleaning up the temple. And what do they find when they start cleaning up the temple? The carpenters get into one of the walls, and they find a scroll. They find a scroll. You know what that scroll was? It was the book of Deuteronomy. It was the book of Deuteronomy. Now imagine, we're up to 75 years now, probably without the written word in the possession of the people of the land of Judah. And they find the book of Deuteronomy. Well, I, had to st- I thought, whoa, okay, I've got to understand what in the world these folks read. So I, I took an afternoon, I said, I'm just going to read the book of Deuteronomy. Put everything aside and just sit down and read the book of Deuteronomy. I want to find out what in the world it was in this book that they heard. Folks, it'll blow your mind. If you'll just pull back and sometime read the book of Deuteronomy and try to hear the word of God. As a people in bondage, as a people living in complete rebellion to the living God of heaven, and then you read the book of Deuteronomy. Now, you know, God and His sovereignty could have left it been one of the other books of the Pentateuch. But it wasn't. It was the book of Deuteronomy. So much so, 66 passages, passages from the book of Deuteronomy are found in 86 passages in Jeremiah. And the scholars don't like that. <laughs> they go, oh, you know, these liberal scholars, well, it must have been the same author who wrote both books. You know, that's how we can explain God. Forget it. They found the book of Deuteronomy. And it impacted the prophet Jeremiah so deeply that the book of Deuteronomy became his map, 
became his guide to understanding the God of heaven. Forty-six times in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about the heart. It talks about the heart. Hardly found in any other book in the Pentateuch except for the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy's message is you need to seek God with all of your heart, all of your soul. No compromise. That's the message the people of Judah heard when they found that book. Now let's read that verse. See how it changes everything? Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths. Man, all you've known is bondage. All you've known is a life of rebellion before the living God. And then you hear the words of Deuteronomy. To love your God with all of your heart, all of your soul. That's the ancient paths. And Jeremiah is saying to the people of Judah, you stand at the crossroads. You've heard these words. Now what will you do with the ancient paths? ancient paths heart and soul passionate for the living God wow ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and walk in it well how in the world do you walk in those ancient paths when all you've known is bondage We see the ancient paths now. Love God with all your heart and soul. Well, how do you walk in that? We get a little glimpse of that from the King Josiah. Don't turn there, but let me just read you the words. When Josiah heard the words from the book of Deuteronomy, what did Josiah do? What was his response when he heard the book of Deuteronomy? Well, he took the book afterwards and he read it in the temple. He had all the people get together and make a pledge to follow the words of the book of Deuteronomy. But here here was his personal response to the book of Deuteronomy. Scripture says in 2 Chronicles, because your heart, you get that? Your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before God. And wept in my presence. I have heard you. Man, let those four last words hold fast in your heart this morning. When you heard the word of God, Josiah, when you heard my word, you humbled yourself in my presence. You wept I, the living God, the wild God of heaven, I have heard you. Now, 
Folks, get it in perspective. The land of Judah. All these people living in rebellion and bondage. And now comes King Josiah, age 26. Who humbles himself as the mighty king of Judah. A broken man. And God says, Josiah, I have heard you. Now put your name in there. If you've come before the living God and you're broken, listen, God has heard you. That's grace. That's grace. We have no rights to be heard by the living God. It is grace. His grace will meet you no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is, no matter what sin you're facing. His grace is enough. If you forget everything else I say this morning, please remember that. Remember a time we were over in Lombok and our son took a nasty fall to the back of his head. We have solid concrete ceramic floors where we used to live. And so when little kids that are two years old or a year old fall on the back of their heads and do a free fall on the back of their heads, they really feel it. And you do too, man. It's like you hear the knock and goes all, you know, hear it all through the house. Well, little Jonathan hit the back of his head. And we were at a public place and there was a, a doctor there who saw it and came over to Kristen and said, man, if that kid start, starts acting up, you need to quickly do something about it. Well, we're driving home from where we were, and as we were driving home, Kristen looks back at Jonathan in his car seat, and he's got one of those glazes on his eyes, and you can just tell he's in a, he's an ozone layer. You know, he's not even with us. And Kristen's trying to get, hey, Jonathan, he won't respond. And so she pulls him out of the car seat. You can do anything you want in Asia when it comes to driving. I love the driving in Asia. It's great. You can do anything you want over there when it comes to driving. Anyhow, she pulls Jonathan out of the car seat, and she's holding him in the front seat, and all of a sudden he goes into a full grandma seizure. Folks, you're on a little island, 40 by 50 miles. The hospital is so terrible in Lombok, the insurance company told us never go there. All right? That's how bad it is. Well, he's going through this grandma seizure, and Kristen takes Jonathan. I'm pulled off the side of the road, and she throws Jonathan into my lap and says, Fix him! I'm like, Fix him? What can I do? You know, he's there, he's going wild. You know, his arms are swinging, his eyes are going back, and his head, his lips are turning blue. I'm like, We're going to lose our son. And of course, our minds are thinking, we're going to bury our son here in Lombok, or is he going to be brain damaged and we'll have to leave the field? We didn't know what was going to happen. Next couple hours, he's got petty mal seizures, you know, his limbs are flying, and we're like, what in the world? We finally had to go to the hospital. Well, Kristen walks into the hospital, and the doctor, now, I don't think the doctor even touched Jonathan. Didn't even look at his eyes. You never look at the eyes when I got a head injury. Didn't even look at his eyes. He said, well, you know, if he has another grand mal seizure, just come on back and we'll give you some antibiotics. Good night. Well, that doctor that was at the public spot where we, where Jonathan fell, met us at the hospital. He said, you've got to get him out of here. You can't stay here. If this kid has another grandma seizure tonight and there's bleeding on his brain, he's not going to live through this. We had one international flight that left the island that night. Another team member raced to the international airport, which is a very, very small little airport in our little island, raced out to the airport and held back the international flight. Kristen goes back to the house, grabs a few pieces of clothing, races to the airport. She gets to the airport. And the pilot comes out and says, you're not getting on this plane. So I had a buddy who was a pilot, and he had something like this happen, and the guy that was on the flight died because he had brain injuries. So you can't get on this plane. The doctor came along that was helping Kristen and said, look, if this kid is that bad, he will die here tonight in Lombok. 
And our only hope of helping him is a, one of those manual augers and you drill into the brain. Can you imagine? Pilate said, if you sign this waiver, I'll let you get on the plane. I will not be responsible what happens to your son. Now listen, this is the background of that one. My wife had just gotten through dengue fever. Ten days of the fever, 104 plus. Her blood vessels were starting to collapse under her skin. Because you bleed to death from dengue fever. You can she was so weak she could barely stand. And she was the one going off to, with Jonathan to Singapore. So here she is at the end of her rope with a son who we think is dying on our way to Singapore by herself. I stayed back with the other kids. We have five kids. It's four at that point. She gets on the plane and she takes off and the pilot comes back in the middle of the flight and says, look, I'm flying this plane as low as I can. Can you imagine that? International flight. Flying that giant jet as low as it can. <laughs> Wow, to help that little boy's brain. Kristen gets to Singapore. They walk into the emergency room. Jonathan's looking better. And bang, he has a second grand mal seizure, worse than the first. They race him into the CAT scan. Is that what it was, a CAT scan? Race him into the CAT scan. The surgeon's standing beside the machine, ready to start brain surgery, convinced there had to be bleeding on his brain. And he's losing it. He's losing it. And Kristen, is, is, she's so weak when they put the lead vest on her, she couldn't even stand. She had to sit. And she sat there saying, Oh God, this is my Mount Moriah. If you want to take Jonathan, take him. Man, the grace of God was enough. Listen, the grace of God is enough. Our team got hit with spiritual warfare every four months for five years, folks. We had three members on our team die. His grace is enough. Let that sink in deep, because man, that is the message. That's God's gospel to us. His grace is enough. You deserve none of it. It is grace. It's grace. It's all grace. Now that story ended great that night, because as we came out of the CAT scan, they found nothing on Jonathan's brain. And it's, a, it's a short story, but I'm not going to take time for it. But God took care of our son Jonathan today. He's a, 16, he's a 14-year-old young man that's a walking genius. I can't keep up with his brain. I mean, it's amazing. But his, God's grace was there. But listen, I don't care what you're going through this morning, whatever the hardship is. And I'm not just playing with words, folks. Listen, we've been through the hardest six months of our lives since December 7, 2011. These last six months have been the hardest six months of nearly 30 years of ministry. I got a phone call on December 7 that changed my life. As we faced rejection and betrayal by someone I deeply love. And man, when you go through that, Folks, I've been tracked by fanatics. I've had my life threatened, all that stuff. Nothing touches you like betrayal. Nothing. And the grace of God has been enough. The grace of God has been enough. I don't know what you're encountering this morning. If you're struggling with sin this morning, I'm not holding anything back this morning. If you're struggling with sin this morning, His grace will meet you there. Now listen. Some of the worst sin we're facing in our American church today, there's one sin that's eating the soul out of the American church, and it's pornography. 
Listen to me, man. If you're struggling with that, His grace will meet you there. You will find freedom if you'll come like King Josiah. Humble yourself before the living God of heaven and weep in His presence. Those four words will be there for you. I have heard you. That's grace. That's grace. That's how you walk in the ancient paths. A spirit of humility and brokenness. A spirit of saying, oh God, you are God, I am not. Let me seek you with all of my heart and all of my soul. I love what Stephen said. You look at Southeast Asia, good night. God is pursuing his people across Southeast Asia. But man, listen, God is pursuing them and there's no one there to tell them the message. I come back to America and I go around and I say, you know what? God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you with his grace. He's saying, come live a life of complete freedom in the gospel. Free from the bondage that you might journey with God in prayer for the peoples of Southeast Asia. Hallelujah, what a privilege. But are we walking on those ancient paths this morning? You know, I struggle with this verse because, you know, you read the story of Josiah. And man, go back. I haven't got time this morning. But you go back and you study Josiah. He says he led the people of Judah to pledge to follow the word. And then I read... Jeremiah. And you read Jeremiah, he'll tell you, none of the people of Judah followed God. I'm like, wait a minute, those two can't be in the same Bible. How in the world can you have Josiah saying he led all the people to pledge themselves to God? And they looked really good, just like you guys look. You look really good. I don't know if I look very good. I was a bit late last night. But listen, hey, you look really good, just like the people of Judah did. And then Jeremiah says, nobody. It says in the book of Jeremiah, nobody in the land of Judah were following God. And then I found a little verse, and I think it's Jeremiah 3.10, where it says, yes, the people of Judah were only following me in the pretense, not with their hearts. That's where the two come together. Where we look so good on the outside, while our hearts are in bondage. And God invites us to freedom. He invites us to freedom. And here's what freedom looks like. Verse 16 again. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Listen, man, anyone I talk to is living in bondage, their souls are in turmoil. Their souls are so troubled And God is saying, I will give you rest at the deepest place in your life if you walk the ancient paths. If you walk the ancient paths today with me, I will give you rest at the deepest known place, your soul. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's freedom. Where are you at this morning? Are you living in that freedom? The staggering thing I find with this verse 
are the last few words. When the people of Judah said this to Jeremiah, in response to him saying to them, ask for the ancient paths, walk in those ancient paths. But you, the people of Judah, you said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. Can you imagine? Here's freedom. Here's freedom for you. No thanks. I'll stand my bondage. I'll stand my bondage. Then I back up and realize, wait a minute, Alvin. Every single morning I wake up and I stand at the same crossroads. Every day I stand at the same crossroads. And I have to decide, will I choose the ancient path or will I choose bondage? My wife and I have started running together. That's why I'm a bit stiff, stiff this morning. We were out running the ridges in western Maryland. You come and see our house, you'll see some of those nice hills we have to climb to get up to our house. My wife was leading the run yesterday morning, and for some reason she kept going. I'm dying back there thinking, okay, dear, come on, you've got to stop sometime here, you know. And she got up to eight miles yesterday morning. I'm running this last ridge, this last hill, and I'm like, oh, man, do one more step, one more step, you know. And I'm going, keep going, keep going, keep going. But as I'm out running, I'm listening to music on my iPod shuffle. And the songs yesterday morning was, God is God and I am not. Songs about free to run. Free to run. You see, God did not set us free to coast. He didn't set us free for some earthly focused journey. He set us free to run hard after the living God. That's what our freedom is for. Man, that's why we were saved. That's why he gave us freedom. Good night, are we running or not after the living God? Are we pursuing Him with everything we have? He set us free to run. To run hard. And yeah, it's been hard the last six months. I've had a lot of struggle. But in the face of God saying, God, why are you still silent? can someone I deeply love betray me? And God says, run with me. Trust me. I am the living and wild God of heaven. Alvin, run with me. Trust me. Choose the ancient path. Let the grace of God meet you right where you are and find rest in your soul and choose freedom. Freedom to run hard. I'm going to leave one little point of application with you. And this might sound strange, but hang with me. You guys have done a good job this morning. One point of application we challenge our teams to do this now in our mentoring. Because we get people to the field and they're like, you mean you want me to do that? I said, yeah. I'm going to challenge you to get away for one day with God. Just get away for one day with God. 
And you're like, what? Take a whole day? Yeah, take a whole day. Just get away with God for a whole day. Take a journal with you and your Bible. And you get in His presence. And you ask Him to speak to you. You let the truth of the Word of God from the book of John, from the passages of Paul's epistles. Don't try Jeremiah, man. It will depress you. It's a hard book to get into your first day. But listen, man. Get into the Word of God. Take your journal out and study His Word and ask Him to speak to you. Ask Him to show you those areas in your life where you're coasting right now. Those areas where bondage marks your path. And before God, with humility, say, Oh God, get me on the ancient path. I want no more compromise with you, God. I want to love you with all of my heart, all of my soul. You know what happens to our guys in the field? Sometimes they go out and they do it for a day and they walk back and say, I can't get through life now without doing this. Some guys will take a half a morning, take a morning once a month, their work week. I've got to get alone with God. Will you do that? It's radical, I know. I've met very few who are willing. Well, I've met several who are willing to do it, but it's not a part of our life. I want to encourage you and challenge you to consider doing it. Just get alone with God. Spend time in His presence. Find those ancient paths. Walk in freedom. And run hard. Run hard after the living God. Hey, if you're not a prayer partner and you want to talk to us afterwards, see us. We send out email updates. Love to have you journey with us in prayer across Southeast Asia. Thank you for the chance to be back with you this morning. Bam.